experts say that everybody's got at least something that they're really, really afraid of. What is it? Public speaking? Is it planes? Is it snakes? Is it spiders? Uh, to the uninitiated, those of you who don't know, that about a few years ago when our church was in Dueling Hall, we had a, we had a big snake slither in right during church service. Now, we don't handle snakes, okay? But a snake came into the service, was heading right to me. Any, any of you around, you remember this? And I learned that there were some grown men that are scared of snakes. Now, they were jumping up on their seats, making sounds like a little schoolgirl, um, and they were just frightened. But what is your fear? Snakes and spiders and airplanes or snakes on planes. They make movies about that. There's a lot of fears. Maybe it's deep waters or darkness or heights. What is it that you're afraid of? A Harvard researcher named Daniel Goleman wrote a very great book a year and a half, I'm sorry, a decade and a half ago called Emotional Intelligence. And he brought up some really valuable research that's, that showed that there's actually some people who are born with a worry gene. Okay, so you can have a predisposition to fear just genetically, okay? Now, some of you, a lot of you didn't know that, and you're thinking, mm, do I have that gene? You probably do if you just ask that question, right? If you have a, a shorter genetic makeup on this, then you have, you could have this worry gene. You're more prone to fear. Daniel Goldman, in his book, Emotional Intelligence, talks about children who are actually born more prone to timidity. These children are finicky with new food. They're shy around strangers. They're hesitant at new places. There's just more timidity with them. Some of your kids, some of us as adults, man, we've got that in us, so we're more prone, just more prone to be afraid. Now, if you have two parents, there's usually a parent in the household that's what I call the pusher parent. And this parent says, hey, you need to try things. You need to risk. Because Daniel Goleman, the Harvard researcher in this book, says that the child needs two things. A child needs safety and a child needs to be able to explore. You get that, right? A child needs safety. Yesterday, I'm at Walgreens over in Ridgeland. There's a little child in a basket. His mom's facing the register. She's paying for her items. He's looking at me and he's making little funny faces. Kids, babies love bald-headed guys. He's making funny faces at me, so I think it's only right to reciprocate, and I make a funny face at him. And he gets terrified and starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Everyone's alarmed. Walgreens manager runs out. Everybody's alarmed, and they're blaming me, right, just for trying to... Kids need safety. Kids need to look around and say, hey, this is a dangerous world. Am I going to be able to survive? A child needs safety, and a child needs to explore. And there's, in every home, if you have a two-parent family, there is one parent who's a pusher, one parent that says explore, risk, a little bit of danger is good for you. That parent is called what? A dad. There's another parent, there could be a parent, who is more of the safety parent, the safety net, the nurturer, the soother. Uh, this parent is called what? Actually, it's called a dad. Research shows that mothers don't really do much of anything. So, <laughs> just... Um, I thought I'd offend people in groups today. <laughs> you have a need. You have a need to be safe. It's built in you, some more than others, and you have a need to explore, to risk and dare. A little bit of danger is a good thing. Keep that in mind this morning as we talk about fear and what you're afraid of. I want to share with you a story that a lot of you will be familiar with. I want to give you the highlights. So we'll, we'll isolate one passage on the screen in a second. I'd love for you to read it later. But there's a story, a familiar story, told in Mark chapter 4. And the disciples are with Jesus. And the disciples get in a boat. Twelve men board a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are carrying this. Somebody in the 930 
service told me I should put it on. But the disciples, they're carrying this, a life jacket. And Jesus, he's got this, a pillow. And scripture tells us, Mark in his story tells us, that on the Sea of Galilee, this great storm arose. In English translations of the Bible that you read, it's called a fierce storm or a ferocious storm. The Greek word that Mark uses is this. It's mega seismic or whatever, something like that. Yeah, there it is. Seismos, mega seismos. And that is this, this idea that, man, this is catastrophic. Now, a little bit of topography and geography. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And so there's hills and mountains surrounding it. And when winds get trapped in there, it is ferocious. The storms, they are great. And Mark tells us that the storm arose and Jesus is sleeping. There's a brilliant, in fact, three brilliant contrasts in this story. The first is the contrast between faith and fear. That's the obvious one of the story in Mark chapter 4. I mean, do you want to be a person of fear? Or do you want to be a person of faith? Are you prone to timidity? Are you a what-if person? What if this happens? What if this happens? You're constructing every possible negative scenario. Even if things are going well, you're a what-if-the-other-shoe-falls person. And you are just living a life of fear. Depressing to you, inspiring to no one. A life of fear. Or you live in a life of faith. That's one contrast. The second contrast is between the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus is he's sleeping. That's what humans do. How many of you, how, how many of you like some sleep, right? How many of you know somebody, they're not here in church where they should be because they're sleeping now, right? How many of you see somebody asleep right now in church? Just identify them and we'll pillow fight with them. We'll throw this at them or just give it to them, right? So they'll be more comfortable. These pews are hard. But Jesus shows his humanity in that he's asleep. But then he shows his divinity. It says in Mark chapter 4, Mark tells us that the wind and the, at his command, the wind and the waves obeyed him. So we see the contrast between faith and fear. We see the contrast between the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. And thirdly, we see the, the contrast between the disciples, the early disciples and then the disciples at the end of the story. The early disciples at the beginning, they're afraid of the storm. But at the end, they're afraid of Jesus. Look what it says in Mark 4, 41. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This terror. This sense of, God, God, are you in control? Are you going to be here? Are you going to be strong on my behalf? For us today, we'd say there's all these precious promises, all these Bible verses promising the nearness, the closeness, the provision of God, but we need to see it. And in storms, often we don't. We get terrified. But here they see something as they're getting to know someone. He's their friend. He's their teacher. But there's a whole lot different about this man. And they see his divinity and it makes them terrified. Do you know we're too casual about God? We're too flippant. You know what we need? We need more awe. We're talking about fear, but we need more fear of God. I'll show you a picture of Enrico. Lady's not a 
sexy Hispanic guy. That's what you were hoping for. This is Enrico, a scientist who in December of 1942, he became the first scientist to successfully split the atom. It's a process you learned about in school called nuclear fusion. There was no direct impact of this invention, this discovery, until later. Until 1945, almost exactly three years later, August the 6th, 1945, when the United States of America dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. And this bomb was dropped at 31,000 feet above the Earth's surface. It took 41 seconds for the bomb to land. And the result was 66,000 people lost their lives in an instant. Many more would die later, but 66,000 people lost their lives. It was Harry Truman's wisdom to say, let's make this swift and let's make this decisive because a whole lot more people are going to die as a result. And that bomb, it was dropped. The impact of it, 44 square miles were charred, completely leveled, 66,000 lives lost. Buildings were knocked down in a six-mile radius, just leveled. Buildings, glass, 12 miles away, was broken. This scientist was able to make his discovery because of this scientist. It's one of the better pictures of Albert Einstein. Who devised what you've all learned and were tested on, E equals MC squared. And to put it in layman's terms, he discovered that a whole lot of energy could be created with just a little bit of matter. And when that bomb did what it did... The core of the bomb, it heated up to millions of degrees Celsius. But it was developed by using just one-third of an ounce of uranium. One-third of an ounce of uranium was sucked out of the universe and was used with such devastation. Such power, such incredible Power blows the mind, doesn't it? Some amazing, devastating, big result could happen from something just so small. And we look at this world, this world of advancement and modernity, this world of discovery and learning, where our ability and technology and scientific advancement outpaces our moral inventory. And we look at this world and we see something so big can come from something so small. How can potential energy be created from invisible atoms in this universe? And how can it become so just incomprehensible to the human mind? How great is the power of destruction? How great is the power, the unseen power in our world today? And it makes you, it makes you think of God. It makes you think of God and his, just how we can't fathom how powerful he is. That there is a creator and his claim is that he made the atom. How powerful he can be. The disciples 
saw just a little bit of the power of God right there in their midst. Right there. This man, just by a word, by something so small, can show restraint, can calm a storm. There's this power, and we'll look at it a little bit later because there's something about power that drives out fear. We'll talk about that as we close this service today. The disciples, terrified. Terrified because of what they saw, the known, and terrified for the unknown. What's the potential with this God? What's his potential in our lives? I want to share with you a big thought. As I thought and prayed about today, and I thought about fear. I thought about this story of Jesus and the disciples, and their fear being at the storm, and then their fear being toward God. Here's the thought. Most people don't ruin their lives. Most people waste their lives. I'm going to give you a moment there because you want to say, hmm, or you want to say amen, but you're not sure. Maybe I'm tricking you, right? Most people don't ruin their lives. Most people, most people waste their lives. You have a need for safety. You have a need to explore. Show you a picture of a vicious animal. This is a Jack Russell Terrier, and I have a friend out west who has this very dog. This isn't his picture. This is a stock photo I took off the internet, but this is what his dog looks like. His Jack Russell Terrier named Leo. And Leo is a beast. Leo, in the time that I've known him, he's killed snapping turtles, raccoons, and possums. He's taken over, taken on bigger dogs. He's chased off a burglar. Leo is the man. I remember thinking about Leo and thinking, this dog is living a better life than me. This dog is taking it on. This dog isn't as timid as I am. There's something in this creature that says, go for it, get after it, live. Danger, some of you need to hear this, danger is not all bad. I have a friend who several years ago quit his job. I know the feeling. Several years ago, I quit my job. And he quit his job not knowing that he would be successful not knowing that it would work. He didn't know where the money would come from. He talked a friend into being just as stupid as he was. So here's two guys in cheap rented space. They got two desks and two chairs and they sat there drafting a plan, a business plan. And when I tell you they didn't make any money that first year, I mean they didn't make one single dollar. But hear me for a second. It's possible to have no money in the bank, no guarantee of success, to be staring at failure imminently. It's possible to be renting a friend's basement, to have no car to drive, just to ride a bike. It's possible to be that guy or gal, but yet to be bursting with vitality. And it's possible to have a whole lot of money in the bank, 
to be living in a home that's large and lavish, that's custom built, to be going on expensive vacations to exotic locations, but to be miserable and to feel like you're not living because you're not living. You know something's wrong. There's this misery and emptiness in you, and it's about safety. And it's bland and boring and lifeless, and you feel trapped. And I would say to you, following Jesus, living the life that your creator wants you to live, it's an adventure. And there needs to be danger involved. There needs to be danger. Marilyn Monroe, one of the most famous people in American celebrity history. She was, uh, here she is pictured with one of her many husbands, a man named Arthur Miller. Marilyn Monroe, early in life, believed in God. But fame and all the trappings of that robbed her of that. She had to have a team of doctors who were with her into the night to give her pills and shots in the correct amounts and dosages to make sure she could go to sleep but not die. And Arthur Miller here, one of her husbands, at bedside wrote this. I found myself straining to imagine the miraculous. What if she was to wake up and was able to say, God loves you, darling, and me too. And what if she was able to believe it? How I wish I still had my faith and she had hers. This husband describes God's love as a miracle. It's not a miracle. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to speak that over you. And so in the few moments that we have, I want to share with you the most beautiful words I've ever heard, the greatest truth I've ever heard on fear. And it comes to us from a guy who's in the boat. It comes to us from a guy who, while Jesus had his head on one of these, he had this wrapped around his neck. And he looked 600 feet below sea level at the mountains and the hills. Well, he couldn't no longer see that because here comes the storms tossed, the fierce storms. And this follower of Jesus, this good friend, this man named John, would write these words in the fourth chapter of our Bibles called 1 John. And he wrote these words, perfect love cast out fear. And in the Greek, that word dunamos, cast out, is where we get our word dynamite. In other words, God's love can be so powerful. It can be so great that it can explode the fear in your life that's holding you back. few years ago, I joined friends on a ropes course. You guys done a ropes course? Raise your hand if you've done a ropes course. Just so I can see, yeah, a whole lot of you young, younger people. Some old people, okay, I acknowledge that. But I did a ropes course with a, a few friends, and you guys know how it works. It's, you remember the first time on a ropes course, right? And you're there, and you're on the ropes course, and there's staff, and those staff huddle you up, and they give you the little lecture. And the little lecture is a little bit on logistics, and mostly it's on safety, right? It's all about safety, and they're there to ensure you. you just, you're supposed to listen and with your group, and you, just, you pay attention to the safety instructors, to the staff, and they're telling you how the ropes are sturdy, right? The harness is strong. 
the carabiner is indestructible. Did I say that right, Jeff? I borrowed Jeff's stuff, his camping stuff, when I go camping or ropes or whatever. I borrowed Jeff's stuff. But anyway, the carabiner is indestructible. They're telling us all that, and they tell us, I remember my first time, they tell us that you're, it's more dangerous when you get in your car and drive home than it is on the ropes course. And everybody's on the ground. That's the key. Everybody's on the ground. Everybody believes the information. Everybody received that instructions. Everybody nods their head in agreement. No one disputes that these staff are professional, friendly, courteous, and accurate, and they're concerned that we have fun and that we are safe. And then you get up there, and your stomach don't believe those instructions. And your armpits, sorry, your armpits don't believe those instructions. And your sweat glands don't believe those instructions. Your head believed it on the ground when, you were, when it felt safe, right? But you get up there, and you're like, I'm high, I'm going to die. It's just different, isn't it? It's different when you're up there. And I think the reason we do ropes courses and do the things that we do is that we feel alive, Right? We, we lift ourselves up out of the safety and the boredom and the monotony and the blandness of it all. And we get up there and we're doing something. We're out in God's creation. There's some danger to it. Uh, we just, we feel alive. And here's what I want to say to you this morning as we close. Whatever you're afraid of, whatever that could be keeping you up at night and gnawing at you, it's not going to be fixed by a sermon and a church service. Now, I'm glad you're here. I think God is glad you're here. You ought to be here. Come back next Sunday. This is good. Church is good. Hearing that perfect love can cast out your fear. That's a good thing. But do you think about the ropes course and then make it analogous to your life of faith? On the ropes course, the first time you go, you're scared. The second time you go, you're, you're scared. The third time, not as much. A little, not as much. The fourth time, almost not at all. And then you become experienced, right? Those staff, they're not scared. They just, they do it. Because they've learned they have over time, you hear me? They have over time been reassured that they're safe. And that it's okay. Because they do it over and over again. And for you, and for me, it needs to be a habit. It needs to be a holy habit. It needs to be a practice of our lives that we're following Jesus and we're on an adventure with him and we're not shrinking back. And I want to say to you this morning, there are some conversations that some of you need to have. And you're terribly frightened. It's the holidays, and there are hang-ups, and there are conflicts. And in our midst, we have some families that aren't even talking anymore. we got folks fussing and fighting. And there's some, there's some fear that some of us need to overcome to go have the hard conversation. There's something you need to step into. It's not all about on-the-ground safety. Jesus purposefully allowed that storm. He wanted to show him something. I want to get you to bow as we pray. And as we bow and as we pray, there'll be a little bit of motion, just a little bit of noise as our team 
comes to lead us in song. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray for our offering. And before we go today, we're going to sing a Christmas song. But for a lot of you, I bet you there is that one thing that you're afraid of. And it's not at the Madison Malco Grandview Cinema Theater. It's not playing at Park Place or any of the other local cinemas. It's playing in your head. It's playing in your heart. And it's paralyzed you. For some of you, you think because you're afraid, well, that's God's will of telling you. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Don't make any move. Just stay. And could he not be today calling you? Calling you on the ropes course. Calling you on the stormy sea. Breaking your heart about something and calling you to face that. A new mission. Different job. New relationship. Ending one or beginning one. Making peace with somebody. Jesus said, blessed, that means happy. Happier are the peacemakers. Notice he didn't say peacekeepers, he said peacemakers. It's easier to keep the peace, but can we make peace where there's conflict? Would you say, God, be with me in this storm? And if I'm going to be terrified, I want to be terrified, God, by you by your power in this adventure of living.